0: This is not reality television. This is reality.
1: Now you tell me. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. I'm just scared in case I fall off my chair. Let me choke us to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, i stuck in From the Pacifica Radio you. in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast radio. Radio as heard on KPFK 90.7 right FM, FM in L.A., face. up in Oregon on 91.7 FM, KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM, Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM, WLRI. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM, KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM, the Green Renaissance Network. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950, KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And yes, streaming coast to coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. You can run. You won't get very far. You can hide, uh, or you can at least try to from the Bradcast, but it will do you no good. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Coming up today on the Bradcast, fierce Bernie Sanders supporter Sean King. Formerly of Daily Coast, now of the New York Daily News, on the reasons why he has made uh, what he describes as an incredibly difficult choice to support Hillary Clinton this year as the only way to stop Donald Trump. He will join us shortly to explain that decision and how he came to it. And, uh, and how his fellow Sanders supporters are reacting. Uh, we certainly heard from a lot of those uh, supporters on yesterday's broadcast during a very lively call-in segment. Uh, you can uh, you can go listen to yesterday's broadcast after you're done with this fine one over at bradblog.com if you like. Uh, so King will be joining us soon for all of that. But first, uh, oh, first, hello, Desi Doyle. Hello. How are you? Good are you surviving week two of convention uh, mania yes uh, are you sorry you're not actually at the convention this well, year?
2: Yes and no. It it is really difficult to cover a convention when you're there, and it's quite
0: exhausting. You get it's like trying to to view something huge through a a, a bathroom roll tube. <laughs> it's just too hard. But,
1: it, uh, no, I agree. It, but uh, you it,
0: miss the
2: you miss the electricity of being there.
1: Uh, I don't. I don't miss it at all. <laughs> I'm I'm delighted to not and to look from afar. And you're right. I think it is much easier, frankly, to report from here. Um, Donald Trump as a, uh, has a a new fundraising pitch following Wednesday night's blockbuster Democratic Convention speeches from uh, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, many others, including uh, vice presidential nominee Tim Kaine. Uh, Donald Trump's pitch, don't watch Hillary's DNC speech tonight. That's what he's actually sending out via email. Don't watch it. Uh, according to this uh, new uh, Trump fundraising email that I received this morning, a little wonder it's not going well for him, The uh, at least the Democratic convention in any event. But perhaps the most disturbing part for Trump may be that the the convention, the DNC, is consistently receiving much higher ratings than last week's Republican National Convention. And those numbers are very important to a TV guy like the Donald, I think. Uh, who had been able to tout how many more viewers, remember this, uh, had tuned into the Republican debates. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was evidence that he and the GOP are wildly more popular than the Democrats. Um, not so, so far with the Democratic National Convention consistently outrating the Republican National Convention. Another good reason that he doesn't want Republicans to tune in, I suspect, is when they do, they tend to make asses of themselves. Uh, for example... This guy from uh, from North Carolina, uh, this was actually this was the North Carolina Republican Party itself had put out a, uh, a tweet criticizing vice presidential candidate Tim Kaine for wearing a Honduras flag pin during his Democratic convention speech. Now, uh, Tim Kaine did, in fact, as I understand it, spend a, a great deal of time doing a missionary work or whatever it is that Jesuits do uh, down in Honduras. Um, the problem is that uh, Kane was actually not wearing a Honduras flag pin. He was wearing a pin bearing the symbol for Blue Star Families, which a group is a group of families um, with members who serve in the military. In you fact, are
0: on active duty. Yes,
1: Kane's uh, son, Nathan- Nathaniel, serves in the Marines. He was recently deployed to Eastern Europe. And uh, so the North Carolina... Republican Party who described uh, this Honduras flag pin as they saw it as shameful, shameful in the tweet yeah they kind of had to walk that back uh, and uh, I don't know if they've apologized but they have since deleted that tweet Uh, so now, despite the uh, polls right now which are suggesting that Clinton and Trump are essentially tied nationally, Democrats at their party's national convention seem to be feeling pretty good Pretty good about their party at this point, uh, about their party, about their country, about their chances of defeating Trump, it seems. So much so that they were even reaching out to Republicans on Wednesday night in Philadelphia to to come and join them. During his, the uh, acceptance speech for uh, the Democratic uh, vice presidential nomination, Senator Tim McCain offered this nod to gop What's that? Tim Kaine. What did I say?
0: Tim McCain.
1: Oh, no, I am tired. Tim Kaine offered his nod uh, to GOPers who were frustrated with the direction of their own party. And yes, there are quite a few of them. Uh, And uh, they are frustrated with their party and with the selection of Donald Trump as their Republican standard bearer. Here was Kaine reaching out to him on Wednesday.
2: And I tell you, if any of you are looking for that party of Lincoln... We've got a home for you right here in the Democratic Party.
1: Well, good luck with that. Uh, Another reason that Trump would prefer his voters do not watch the DNC on, uh, on Thursday night, they might find out how he is lying to them. But even if they watch the reliable Republican propagandists over at uh, Fox News, some actual facts are actually slipping in. Uh, Formerly beloved right-wing propagandist Charles Krauthammer on Fox on uh, Wednesday night, he was reacting to the blatantly false and incredibly dark negative picture. Of the U.S. that Trump had offered at at, uh, at the Republican convention last week by undercutting Donald Trump to say, "Well, you know what? In fact, the uh, the crime rate has plummeted over the past uh, what do you say, decade or twenty five years by by about fifty percent. No crime is not rampant and running wild in the streets." And that was Crowdhammer on Fox News. So yeah, any way we can avoid those facts, all the better. As far as Donald Trump is concerned, I suspect, and other conservatives as also as well were also uh, after Obama's speech, a uh, stemwinder of a speech on Wednesday night. Um, the uh, th- that was being held up by these right wingers as the kind of address that the country deserves in the current political moment. Some of these uh, right-wingers who generally disagree with Obama were grudgingly expressing admiration for his optimistic speech, pra- the, praising America's inclusive democracy, noting that it provides a stark contrast to the ominous address about the threats facing the U.S. that Donald Trump had offered last week. Tim Miller, the American America Rising PAC co-founder, he's the former communication director for Jeb Bush, said that the disparity between the conventions, uh, the two conventions, would push a generation of young voters away from the Republican Party. There you According go. According to uh, TPM, uh, New York Times editor, uh, columnist Ross Douthat, is that how you say his name? I think you it's Douthat. Douthat, whatever, said Obama's speech should make peers ashamed of what their party has become. Here are some of the tweets. Tim Miller, will a Trump apologist Explain to me why an 18-year-old watching the conventions would want to be a Republican. We're giving a generation away, he said. Uh, Doubt that. Said uh, a speech to make Republican elites feel sickened, as they should be, by what their party has nominated. He was talking about Obama's speech there. Eric Erickson, the far, far right-winger, Uh, Said, I disagree with the president on so much policy and his agenda, but appreciate the hope and optimism in his speech. I started the evening saying for the first time I thought Trump could win. Then Obama spoke. I'm so angry at my own party right now, said Eric Erickson. Uh, So that that gives you an idea. The right-wingers were going on and on about it. Yeah, don't watch it. Trump doesn't want you to see it. Don't look at what's going on at the Democratic uh, convention as far as uh, those folks are concerned. Earlier in the night before Obama spoke, it was the self-made billionaire Michael Bloomberg, former Democrat turned Republican, now an independent, three-term mayor of New York City, first elected there two months after 9-11. He's a man with uh, at least 10 times the wealth of supposed billionaire Donald Trump. He offered a counterpoint that I thought was very effective to the insane rant of former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani at the Republican convention in Cleveland. He delivered a blistering critique of Donald Trump and his business practices in what the much richer than Trump entrepreneur and businessman described as the independence case for Hillary Clinton.
0: Through his career, Donald Trump has left behind a well-documented record of bankruptcies and thousands of lawsuits and angry stockholders. Trump says he wants to run the nation like he's running his business? God help us. I'm a New Yorker, and I know a con when I see one. Truth be told, the richest thing about Donald Trump is his hypocrisy. The bottom line is, Trump is a risky, reckless, and radical choice and we can't afford to make that choice. No matter what you may think about her politics or her record, Hillary Clinton understands that this is not reality television, this is reality. As an Independent, I am asking you to join with me not out of party loyalty, but out of love of country. And together, and together, let's select a sane, competent person with international experience, a unifier who is mature enough to reach out for advice, to build consensus, and to recognize that we all have something to contribute. So let's elect Hillary Clinton as the next president of the greatest country in the world, the United States of America. Thank you.
1: That was actual billionaire Michael Bloomberg, uh, now an independent, who had thought about running for president himself this year, uh, speaking at the Democratic National Convention on Wednesday night. But it wasn't all flowers and rainbows and unity for the Democrats Uh, The remarks of Leon Panetta, former Secretary of Defense and CIA chief under Barack Obama, were met with extended and boisterous chants, I thought, from the uh, anti-war protesters throughout much of his remarks. Uh, We heard chants of no more war and lies. Those chants were answered uh, with other uh, folks opposing them, uh, chanting USA, USA, USA. It might as well have been a Republican convention at that point uh, with those chants. Uh, So there is still discord on the left as well as on the right, though how much on both sides remains to be seen. Vice President Joe Biden also gave just a fantastic stem winder again. uh, Here's a little bit of of his speech talking about uh, the dangers that we face in this world and making the case uh, that Hillary Clinton, not Donald Trump, is the one to face them.
3: This is a complicated and uncertain world we live in. The threats are too great, the times are too uncertain to elect Donald Trump as President of the United States. Now, let me, let me finish. No major party, no major party nominee in the history of this nation has ever known less or has been less prepared to deal with our national security.
2: Ominous. Very ominous. You think?
1: Just a little. Uh, Tim Kaine, as I mentioned, the vice president, he's gotten such short shrift, uh, frankly, this over this past week since he's been selected. And you know what? Since I'm running late now, I'm going to give him short shrift again. Maybe we'll get back to him. But he did, uh, during his remarks, he mentioned his work as, uh, as a U.S. senator. He's the uh, U.S. senator from Virginia. And his work... Uh, on the budget committee with Senator Bernie Sanders, that led to chants of Bernie, 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 uh, to which Keynes seems to have added, I don't know if it was an ad lib or not, uh, every, he said, everybody, we should all feel the burn and not want to get burned by the other guy. But as usual, it was President Obama who stole the show on Wednesday night in what was both a farewell address of sorts and a sunny, even Reagan-esque uh, speech that obviously drove the right-wingers absolutely crazy, albeit that is not a very long drive. But uh, he was uh, not just a sunny and uh, reagan he really was the, uh, the cheerleader-in-chief uh, in, in his address in many ways.
4: America is already great. America is already strong. And I promise you, our strength, our greatness, does not depend on Donald Trump. In in fact, it doesn't depend on any one person. And that, in the end, may be the biggest difference in this election, the meaning of our democracy. Ronald Reagan called America a shining city on a hill. Donald Trump calls it a divided crime scene that only he can fix. It doesn't matter to him that illegal immigration and the crime rate are as low as they've been in decades, because he's not actually offering any real solutions to those issues. He's just offering slogans, and he's offering fear. He's betting that if he scares enough people, he might score just enough votes to win this election. And that's another bet that Donald Trump will lose. And the reason he'll lose it is because he's selling the American people short. We're not a fragile people. We're not a frightful people. Our power doesn't come from some self-declared savior promising that he alone can restore order as long as we do things his way. We don't look to be ruled. Our power, our power comes from those immortal declarations. First puts a paper right here in Philadelphia all those years ago, we, hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that we, the people, can form a more perfect union. That's who we are. That's our birthright, the capacity to shape our own destiny.
1: President Obama bringing down a packed house at the Wells Fargo Arena on Wednesday night in Philadelphia at the Democratic National Convention. He went on to make the case for Hillary Clinton, uh, contrasting her record with Donald Trump's. uh, And he spoke to some of the frustrations that many Americans are feeling right now about our broken system, whether it's Democrats or Republicans. Uh, or what we might just call Bernie Sanders supporters at this point, and, and that, about the fact that change takes a while. It doesn't happen overnight. It begins at the local level. It's a, it's a much longer fight, I think, in most cases than many of us would like, than many of us have patience for. But uh, Obama spoke to exactly that in his remarks.
4: It can be frustrating, this business of democracy. Trust me, I know. But I promise you, when we keep at it, when we change enough minds, when we deliver enough votes, then progress does happen. And if you doubt that, just ask the 20 million more people who have health care today. Just ask the Marine who proudly serves his country without hiding the husband that he loves. Democracy works. America, but we got to want it, not just during an election year, but all the days in between. So if you agree that there's too much inequality in our economy and too much money in our politics, we all need to be as vocal and as organized and as persistent as Bernie Sanders supporters have been during this election. We all need to get out and vote for Democrats up and down the ticket, and then hold them accountable until they get the job done. That's where I feel the burn. <laughs> if you want more justice in the justice system, then we've all got to vote not just for a president, but for mayors and sheriffs and state's attorneys and state legislatures that's where the criminal law is made and we've got to work with police and protesters until laws and practices are changed that's how democracy works
1: that's how democracy works uh he uh, acknowledged those differences within the party he encouraged democrats to overcome them together uh, and uh, and acknowledge that you might not agree with Hillary Clinton on every issue, but democracy isn't a spectator sport, so you got to get out there and participate. It was a rousing address. He was joined on stage by uh, the candidate Hillary Clinton at, at, at the end uh, in a display in a display that frankly we haven't seen uh, for a long time in this country for good or bad, a very popular outgoing president embracing the party's candidate coming into office, so there's a—I shouldn't say coming into office, uh, coming into the next election. So a lot of enthusiasm out there among the party faithful in Philadelphia this week. But will that be enough to win over disgruntled Sanders supporters on the left that uh, the president was speaking to there? One of those Sanders supporters who now says he will be supporting Hillary Clinton even though he ain't entirely happy about it, joins us next on the broadcast to explain why. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so, now more than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going, or even just a one-time only contribution. Come together right now over me. Mm, We'll see. We'll see if Democrats do that. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Uh, Nate Silver, the numbers crunching creator of uh, data journalism site 538com tweeted, uh, offered a series, really, of tweets this week. He said, seeing the number everywhere, that 90 percent of Sanders voters back Clinton. It comes from a Pew poll. Pew is great, but a bit misleading. He says 90 percent is what you get if you force Sanders voters to choose between Clinton and Trump. No Gary Johnson for the Libertarians, no Jill Stein for the Green Party, no undecided or won't vote, he said. But lots of Sanders voters are in the Johnson Stein undecided camp, maybe 30 percent, says Silver, depending on the poll. So party unity stuff is high stakes, he notes. But Sanders holdouts are not very fond of the Democratic Party. Many are independents. Ergo, he says, Johnson and Stein are real options for them. Now, we heard a lot about this, uh, a lot of those folks on yesterday's show during a a very lively call in segment on the broadcast. I hope you'll look it up where many Sanders supporters for uh, reasons good or bad are still refusing to even consider moving their support from Sanders to Clinton, despite the strong urging to do so by the candidate, Bernie Sanders himself. Nate Silver went on to add, uh, Clinton will probably gain as Sanders voters come home, but it is not a done deal yet, among the most important factors in the election, he notes. So with many polls, both nationally and in swing states, still showing, the race to be very, very tight, some even showing Donald Trump ahead of the Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton, the stakes are high indeed, uh, at least to those who view the candidacy of uh, sociopathic liar and dangerously unfit-for-office con man Donald Trump as a very real threat to this nation and, frankly, to the world. So can Clinton win over the Sanders supporters that she will need this November? Or will Sanders supporters uh, come to appreciate the stakes and do whatever it may take to keep Donald Trump out of the White House, even if it means voting for a candidate that they may abhor? Here to talk about that is Sean King, a journalist, civil rights activist, and now a senior justice correspondent at the New York Daily News. He has a must read series up right now at the news uh, exploring solutions for police brutality in America. And he's been a powerful reporter and advocate on the Black Lives Matter movement, which he previously covered at the Daily Coast. He's also been a champion and fierce supporter for Bernie Sanders throughout the primary cycle. But this week, he filed a column headlined To Stop Donald Trump, I'll Be Voting for Hillary Clinton. What? say it ain't so welcome to the broadcast sean king
5: hey man good to talk with you and glad to kind of chop it up and talk about some of these difficult issues.
1: Uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. I really appreciated your column. I could tell it was a, a difficult one to write. Well, you said as much. We'll get to that in a second. But I, I've been an admirer of your work, uh, both at the uh, the New York Daily News and at Daily Coast for some time. Great to see someone from Daily Coast uh, going over to uh, the Daily News. And really, you haven't changed a beat. I mean, you're still as tough and as straightforward as you were over at... Uh, uh Daily Coast. So thank you for that. I want to walk through Yeah, yeah, go ahead.
5: Oh no, man. I'm I'm glad to be here at the Daily News and and I think when I came over here from Daily Coast, a lot of people expected there to be uh a, a, a filter or a muzzle or something like that, but the Daily News has really allowed me to um to really do the same kind of open mm-hmm. work that I was doing at Daily Coast. And so uh it's been a great transition, but the the team at Daily Coast, they were they were great and uh still respect them and what they're doing.
1: Well, some of that uh, some of that team is uh, kind of tough on uh, the Bradcast and bradblog.com from time to time. Maybe we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, sure, man. Not a problem. I like a good fight. In any event, uh, I want to walk through the, the arguments that you offer in your piece, because uh, I thought you made one of the strongest, clearest cases, at least from the point of view of a Sanders supporter, Uh, about why you are making this uh, clearly difficult choice to support Hillary Clinton this November. In fact, the first line of your piece is simply, Wow, this is hard for me to write. Why is that the case, Sean King? Why was it so hard to write?
5: Well, I mean, and it's still hard uh, to this day, you know. I, I think a lot of people struggle to understand what those of us who supported Bernie Sanders, what it was that drew us. To him, and connected us to to what he stood for, and 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 why we were so passionate. And for those of us that that supported him, for us it wasn't just about Bernie, a political candidate, but he stood for a lot of issues that are near and dear to our hearts. Be it uh, his his strong stance against the death penalty, or his his kind of principled stance on cleaning up dirty money in politics, or or the way he views the environment, or or The way he connects and resonates with uh, with working people and poor people, and like we we felt and I still feel to this day that um, that Bernie had the best chance of beating Donald Trump. I I believe he would be Bernie would be ahead in the polls right now. And so when you see somebody that you believe in whose principles line up with yours, uh, and they're more to you than just a a candidate, uh, it may be it may be hard for other people to understand why you're so passionate like i see people kind of mocking and laughing when they saw people crying over kind of bernie basically finally you know uh, putting the nomination in for hillary clinton but for a lot of us um, uh, bernie was kind of a dream come true and um and for me personally i just felt like bernie could uh... could crush donald trump where where donald's weak bernie is strong and i, I just felt like i feel like Hillary was a terrible matchup for Donald. I felt like Bernie was just a great one on so mm-hmm. many issues and ideas and principles. So, um, you know, I'm not excited about voting for Hillary Clinton, but I I am terrified of the idea of what a Donald Trump presidency means to me and to so many people that I love.
1: And I want to talk about uh, that argument and those people that you love, that you outline sort of three different groups who you who you feel are most at threat. Uh, and I want to get to that. But you also write in your column that you are, uh, quote, disgusted that the Democratic establishment clearly did everything in its power to make sure Bernie didn't win, begging the question as to, well, how you could you know reward them with your vote. Uh, So I want to talk about that, too, in a second. But along with your specific arguments about why you say that you plan to vote for Hillary now, you also speak to the issue, I still hear from a lot of supporters, a lot of Sanders supporters, that the election was stolen... For Hillary, either by her or the DNC or some other unnamed uh, source. Now, I, I don't know, Sean, uh, if you know my work at, at Brad Blog at all over the past decade or more. But I, I, sure, man. I, I've covered probably more on election fraud and, and and the voter suppression beat as anyone in the country, and I do not see a case for a stolen primary here. At least, no more than. Any other election uh, with, you know, problems, irregularities, electronic voting and counting systems that are very hard, if not impossible to oversee. So obviously the DNC had its thumb on the scale for Hillary. There is no question about that throughout the primaries. The uh, leaked emails uh, underscore that still again. But that's a different situation, a different issue than stealing an election, as far as I'm concerned. So do you, as a Sanders supporter, do you see validity or evidence for the charge that the election was stolen by Hillary or by the DNC or by anybody else?
5: Well, I know why people do say that and why they think it, but uh, you know, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that it was stolen. Like I, I outline in my piece that... Um, in spite of all of the challenges, like I don't believe, and I say in my piece, I don't believe it was fair and square, not at all, and to the, so much so that Harry Reid came out yesterday and said, mm-hmm. "Yeah, you all are right; it was not fair and square." Harry Reid said yesterday, uh, and he was a you know a prominent supporter of Hillary Clinton. He, he came out and said yesterday that Debbie Wasserman Schultz should have resigned a long time ago, yeah. and that she was biased, and that and that Bernie. These are Harry Reid's words that Bernie deserved better than that. And I was I was a bit frustrated with Harry Reid, because these are things that he could have said during the primary, but obviously he kept them to himself. Mm-hmm. And and so he, but you have an establishment politician like Harry Reid looking at it and saying, yeah, it wasn't fair and square, it wasn't fair to Bernie, it wasn't right. And so when other people who are even more passionate about uh, supporting Bernie and his ideas than Harry Reid see it, of course they're going to feel that it was stolen. And so I I get that. But what I outlined in my piece was, in spite of all the irregularities, all of the bias, Bernie primarily lost because he got crushed in the South. And, um, you know, he lost major delegates. You know, sometimes he would lose by 30, 40, 50 delegates in places like South Carolina and Mississippi, Georgia, Texas. And those losses... Uh, we're almost insurmountable for the campaign, and, and so we were constantly, f- kind of clawing our way back from these steep losses in the South, and and in those states, it wasn't uh, it wasn't fraud, it wasn't stolen. Uh, Bernie's Bernie's campaign just had a bad strategy in those states, and they bungled a lot of things there, and uh, I don't I don't say that lightly or gladly, mm-hmm. not at all, but. That was the primary reason why why we lost was you know it's it's you're it's not one election, it's really fifty small elections and in some of the states where Bernie lost really badly um it was almost impossible to come back from it now, people who say it was stolen, they look at uh, what they believe are incidents of voter fraud and voter irregularities, strange things that happen with the exit polls. And I'm open to considering all of those things, and, and I, I don't really have a clear thought on those. But what I am sure of is that Bernie struggled to resonate and win over most Southern states. And uh, while he crushed it in the Northwest, while he even did extremely well in the Midwest and ended up winning 20 states and winning a lot of those by huge margins, he just struggled in other places. And Had he, had he just been competitive in the South... He probably would have won, mm. and uh, even if he didn't win, but it was just kind of, if it was neck and neck or close, um, we might have a completely different race.
1: And I will, uh, I will add only uh, two points to those thoughts, Sean King. Uh, one, I think the concern is not so much about voter fraud as election fraud, insider election fraud, that the, sure. the yeah. voters are doing fine. Uh, Leave leave them alone. But the election uh, insiders, that's a different matter. And it's a different question, because in truth, many of those southern states still use 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that simply cannot be overseen, can't be counted, even if we wanted to, even if there was a question about that. So. I tend to agree with your general assessment, but I want to—I I just want to po- toss in those points because it is frustrating. People do want to be able to oversee their elections. This is what we've been warning about at, at Brad Blog and on the broadcast for so many years. When you have an election like this, in many of these states, you're just forced to walk away and accept uh, the results, whether they're accurate or not. There is really no way to know. Um, but uh, you know, in general, I, I uh, concur with your assessment here. So let's. Move move on to this uh you you write that uh uh, you believe donald trump poses a dangerous threat to three particular groups immigrants muslims and the black lives matter movement now we know he has been no champion of any of those groups but a dangerous threat to them take me through your thinking on on each of those groups as you uh as you detail it in your article the daily news sean
5: yeah yeah i i i i'll double down on that idea i mean i believe that one if you talk to people who are part of those groups you'll you'll hear and feel the fear and trepidation that they have if if you are friends of immigrants or latinos or or muslims and you hear their serious grave concerns over what uh, the possibility of a president Trump means to them it, it becomes much more personal than just seeing it from afar and kind of hearing his bluster and ideas but when you talk about you know Donald Trump early on in the campaign uh talked about kind of forcefully deporting 11 million uh, undocumented immigrants mm-hmm. and you know I, I wrote about that all the way back in October November of last year of what that looks like and cause he he put a timetable on it and said he would do it in 18 months and that broke down to 454,000 people that he would forcefully deport every month for 18 months. And when you begin to just use your imagination and, and create a mind movie of what it looks like for 450,000 people every month for 18 months on end to be taken from their homes and dropped off somewhere that he would never quite explain, um, it's an ugly thing. And uh, when you begin to, to ask yourself, Who's going to do that? What does that look like? What does that feel like? Who are these people? Where are they? Uh, You begin to see that it's it's a frightening prospect that really nobody in the mainstream was ever talking about or considering in that sense until he said that's what he would do. And so uh I have undocumented friends all over this country I have I have friends whose parents are undocumented who've been in this country for decades who are some of the best sweetest people you'd ever meet and this notion that in 18 months uh and I believe the president If 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 they wanted to, Mm -hmm. really would have the power to do these types of things. Um, Yeah, that was one of the points
1: you made that you know, because some people say, well, that's what Donald Trump says, but you know, he doesn't have the power as president. He'd have to get the Congress and everybody else. The president
5: is not the president is not powerless, and I think President Obama has has demonstrated that that even though Congress can tie your hands on a lot of issues, the president does have powers, and you know, through executive orders, executive Mm -hmm. actions. and and through the departments that the president oversees, uh, you know, there are powers there. And, um, you know, it would, for me and, and for all of the millions of people who fit the description of who Donald Trump said he would deport in 18 months, Uh, it's a a terrifying idea but it's not just them you know he said he at first he just said he would ban all Muslims from entering the United States and even if you remember back in in 2015 he even said if American Muslims left the country uh, he would ban them from coming back and he kind of wavered on that and um, but you know I trust him when he says something I believe he knows exactly what he's saying he's not when I talk about a young man, we're talking about a 70-year-old a man who says what he means. Mm. And, um, and so when he said he would ban all Muslims, he's he's only waffled a little bit here and there with it. But, um, you know, I believe him. And so how he would do that and how he would make that work, um, again, we're talking about uh, something unthinkable. How do you identify who is a muslim and who is it are they are you making them take a test how are you banning them when they get here where are you sending them and and so even now he doesn't have clear answers for it but to me, it's just uh, it's, it's bigotry run amok.
1: What, what do you say, uh, Sean? I'm speaking with uh, Sean King of the New York Daily News, a, as I said, a fierce Sanders supporter who has uh, now decided that uh, Trump is uh, so much of a threat that he will, in fact, be voting for Hillary Clinton. What do you what do you what's the argument? Sean, that uh, when you hear from Sanders supporters, that the only way that things are really going to change, they understand what you're saying, they know Trump's a bad guy, uh, that he's going to, you know, pose as a threat and so forth, but that really only we're only going to get change once we really have... Uh, you know the political revolution that Bernie is calling for only by a Donald Trump getting elected. Things getting so bad that Democrats will finally realize that they have no choice but to make real institutional changes, like uh, Sanders has been calling for. Uh, that, that that's what it takes. What, what, what do you? What's your response to that, Sean?
5: Well, I get the I get the principle behind it, and and so you know, so many of my friends are still in a position where it's extremely difficult for them to consider uh, ever getting behind Hillary Clinton, or ever doing anything other than either supporting Bernie Sanders or supporting wh- who they think is a truly progressive or radical candidate. And, and, and I don't think Hillary Clinton is, is, is particularly progressive or, or radical. Mm-hmm. And so for a lot of people who don't evaluate the risk and are thinking, listen, we have to stick by our principles, stick by our ideas. I get it. I get the theory of it. But the reality is that this November, one of two people will be our president. It will either be Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. It's going to be one of those two people. And your options are to either get behind one of those two people or get behind one of the other third-party candidates but doing it knowing that one of those other two people will be president.
1: Well, and and for
5: me, and so for me, yeah, the possibility of Trump being president is worth a compromise on many of the ideas and values that I have. I, I, you 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 won't find very many people who've been harsher critics of Hillary Clinton than I have, but uh, she is not. As problematic and dangerous as Donald Trump,
1: you say one of those two are going to win. There's a lot of uh, Sanders supporters who say they're going to vote for Jill Stein with the Green Party, Gary Johnson with the Libertarians, or, uh, or even just you know stay home this November, or God forbid, vote for Donald Trump. But if Trump is uh, such a threat, as you see, Sean King, uh, as you describe it in your article, uh, and, and if the, the, the DNC, as you note, know, did everything in its power to make sure Bernie didn't win, why reward uh, the Democrats? Why re- re- reward the DNC with your vote? Why not vote for Stein? Why not vote for Johnson? I- isn't that a self-fulfilling prophecy to say, oh, uh, th- they can't possibly win?
5: No, no, I I get it. And I, I, I say in my article that I it, I actually like Jill Stein a lot. and mm-hmm. I've interacted with her campaign a lot. Her values and policy ideas match up with mine a great deal, more, more so than they do with Clinton or Trump's. And I've grown to even have a lot of respect for Johnson. I think he's a much better candidate than Donald Trump. He's very experienced, and I wish more people understood who he was. But we have about 100 days, and in these 100 days neither Johnson or uh, or Stein I'm just, I'm just being real here not, mm-hmm. it's not a self-fulfilling prophecy for me in the polls uh, Jill Stein has struggled to get above 4 or 5% most polls show that in a head-to-head even if it was Bernie, Trump and Clinton mm-hmm. that even Bernie would struggle to win in that three-way race so if Bernie would struggle Surely Jill Stein and Johnson are going to struggle. And, yes, if if 50 million people left their parties and got behind Johnson or Stein, yes, they could win. I'm just saying it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And it has nothing to do with Stein or Johnson. I think they're both principled, quality people with good ideas and a lot of experience. I think they'd be capable, quality candidates. But our system is so structured around two parties that when you abandon that structure, it's very difficult to win outside of it. Bernie proved that it's very difficult to win even inside of the structure when you're a truly independent candidate. But outside of the structure, I don't think the mechanisms and and, and systems are in place yet for a third-party candidate to win. Um, uh, Johnson is mounting, I think, a very credible campaign. Uh, you know, and, and and is resonating with a lot of people, and, and Jill Stein is as well. But, and I, I'm not even seeing them as spoilers, and I'll and I refuse to use that word with them. Mm, it's good. up to Trump and Clinton to woo voters in. Uh, but seeing what I'm seeing and the risk involved with the Trump presidency, uh, in a lot of ways, I felt like I was going to take Bernie's lead. And I told myself, uh, I trust Bernie as a as a person and as a politician, and he's maybe the only politician that I would say that about. And uh, I felt like if he could uh, swallow not only a sense of pride but compromise on some of the things that matter most to him, be it uh, um, a dis- disagreements that he's had with the Clinton campaign, if he could do that. Then I could do it.
1: I, I've got uh, just a minute or two here left, uh, Sean. I, I get I get pilloried by Sanders supporters. Uh, whenever I suggest the imperative of defeating Trump, e- even if it means holding your nose and voting for Hillary, particularly if you live in a battleground state. Uh, I live in California, so I've got a bit more luxury there. But if you live in a battleground state where your vote could make the difference between Trump winning and losing, uh, that's a serious consideration to make when you go to vote. What reaction have you received to your piece from the uh, from your fellow uh, uh, Bernie Kratz? Are they as mad at you as uh, some of my followers are on twitter whenever i uh, even bring up this topic
5: well i think some people are disappointed and so, and i think the proof of it is that some people are even disappointed in bernie and uh and with all the love and goodwill that he built uh, and there were many of us that would have loved to see bernie mount a third party uh a third party candidacy but i think he surveyed the field the best he knew how, and he took his time to the point where it made a lot of people in the Clinton camp uncomfortable. And determined that he did not think uh, he could he could win, that he could sufficiently guarantee a victory um, without uh, without putting the whole thing in danger and 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 making it more likely that Trump would win. And so, uh, you know, I built up a lot of goodwill with with Bernie supporters as well, and I see them as my friends, my allies. Uh, it was a very difficult decision. Um, I, I get their frustration, and part of what I've tried to do is just say, listen, I understand it. it, it for me, it is a matter of kind of holding my nose. Uh, but I am, my vote is more to stop Trump than it is to um, excitedly get behind Hillary Clinton. I'm, I'm, I'm not that excited, but I, mm-hmm. I do believe it's a, it's a necessary vote.
1: Uh, On the other side of the uh, coin here, uh, Sean, maybe you can offer me some insight on this since you were uh, at the Daily Coast for about a year, your old stomping ground over there. I get pilloried. Uh, by the Hillary supporters as well. Uh, w- when I, you know, cite, uh, cited that uh, Bernie Sanders' numbers were far better than Clinton's in a, in uh, a matchup against Trump during the primary. More recently, that you know, Trump and Clinton are tied in a number of national and and swing state polls. He's even beating her in a number of them. Uh, also yesterday, when when I cited as you did in your piece at the Daily News. Uh, Nate Silver's numbers over at FiveThirtyEight.com finding that if the election were held today, Trump would have a 55% likelihood of winning compared yeah. to Hillary Clinton's 45% if the election yeah. were held today. So you spent time as as a blogger at Daily Coast. I don't mind the attacks. I, I enjoy them, uh, but I don't really understand them. Uh, it, it, maybe you can explain to me. What is this yeah. thinking? I, I, yeah. I If my candidate were, were vulnerable or in trouble... I'd like to know about it so I can take action to do something on it.
5: Yeah, I have a couple thoughts about that. You know, one, the community of Daily Coast is a really eclectic group of people, a really passionate group of people. And whatever it is they believe in, they 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 believe it strongly and fervently, and 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 they are always willing to kind of shoot straight and tell you exactly what they're thinking, exactly how they feel, good, bad, and ugly, and everything in between. But I think for a lot of people... A lot of people are disturbed and bothered, and I don't quite have my mind wrapped around it, when you talk about those negative numbers for Hillary. Like, they feel like you are promoting Donald Trump, and... um I think quite the opposite. I, you know, I, I've shared those numbers as well. I think that I agree with Nate Silver's assessment, and it wasn't just like a hunch. Uh, Nate Silver and the team at five thirty eight did 20,000 simulations yes. and, and determined that Donald Trump has almost a 60% chance of winning. Uh, I believe if the election was held today, Donald Trump would win. America would be shocked. He's ahead in almost 25 states, and um, and, and people just wouldn't be able to explain it. I think he's much more. Um, I think he's several steps ahead of us. I think he's. Uh, he, I think he's smarter than anybody wants to to give him credit for. I, I think um, he understands how to manipulate the media. He understands. Like I didn't believe before Donald Trump that all press was good press. I didn't really believe that, but he is. He has pushed that idea to its maximum capacity. And has done it to position himself all the way—not just as a Republican nominee, but as the as the front runner. And um, I think Donald Trump has outmaneuvered and outthought 17 other candidates in the Republican primaries. And I think he's doing it now in 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 this presidential race. I think it's going to be a dogfight to the very end. And I think there's a. A distinct likelihood that he could win. I think so. And um, uh, anybody who says otherwise is not doesn't really have their finger on what people are thinking right now. Uh,
1: you know, I think so too, and that's why I'd like to you know talk about that in a straightforward way. Come what may, we'll see. We'll see. We post uh, uh, the broadcast over at Daily Coast. We'll see what they have to say about uh, our conversation today. Sean King, your piece concludes. Uh, I believe that stopping Trump is a national emergency. He is that big of a threat, and he is. Starting to pull ahead in the polls. This is not a test. This is not a game. Please join me, join Bernie, and get behind Clinton so that we can stop Trump together. Hold your nose if you must. Do whatever it takes, but please join us. Read Sean King's entire uh, article on this. The case that he makes, headlined at the Daily News, uh, New York Daily News. To stop Donald Trump, I'll be voting for Hillary Clinton. And also be sure to check out his work and his reporting, uh, uh, seminal reporting, on the Black Lives Matter movement uh, and uh, and on police brutality in America. Sean King, really great to talk to you for the first time on the broadcast. I hope you'll come back and uh, join us again in the future.
5: It's on my friend. Take care.
1: Thank you, brother. Uh, check him out also on the Twitters at Sean King, though you have to spell his uh, first name, Sean, S-H-A-U-N. All right. Thanks again, Sean. A quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. <laughs>
3: We think about the countless thousands of other people who suffered so much more than we have, with so much less support, so much less reason to go on. But they get up every morning, every day. They put one foot in front of the other. They keep going. That's the unbreakable spirit of the people of America. That's who we are. back
1: to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. That was Joe Biden at the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia this week. Once again, a stark contrast to what we saw last week, whether you whether you buy it, whether you believe it, whether you like it or not. Just a stark contrast to what we saw from the Republicans last week. My thanks again to uh, Sean King. Really enjoyed that conversation uh, with uh, with Sean King. Uh, do I have time? Uh, yeah, hopefully I have some time before I go. Uh, the uh, Very quickly, uh, Michelle Obama's speech on, what was it, Monday uh, of this past week drew some criticism naturally from the right and from the Fox News because she had the temerity to point out that, in fact, uh, she wakes up every day in a house, the White House, that was built by slaves. I didn't even realize that was controversial, apparently, until she said it. And, you know, you had to see all PolitiFact had to do fact checks on this because the right seemed to be outraged by it. And yes, in fact, slaves did participate in the construction of the uh, of the White House uh, in a big way, uh, along with other uh, people who were not slaves. O'Reilly, Bill O'Reilly over at Fox News, spoke to that uh, the day after, and uh, he considers himself a historian. He gave some context for this, and he noted that slaves that worked there at the White House were well-fed and had decent lodgings provided by the government. So that, in turn, brought fire from people who felt that he was minimizing slavery by pointing out, yeah, well, they may have been slaves, but they were well fed. They had decent lodgings. It was provided by the government. Fantastic. Uh, He has uh, since described people who pointed that out as smear merchants for having the temerity to point that out. And uh, here was his sort of melt melted down response on Fox News to all of this yesterday
2: I think the time has come now where this whole network's gonna have to band together all of us and we're gonna have to call out the people who are actively trying to destroy this network by using lies and deception and propaganda we're gonna have to start to call them out by name because that's how bad it's become because it's getting it's getting to the point of danger uh, bowling you know you saw You saw the provocations, and that's what I reported on, all right, the racial provocations, and then we see black uh, men killing cops. Now, cause and effect, you can't do it 100%, but certainly you can discuss cause and effect. I'm afraid it's going to happen with Fox News. This is right. provocation. These people are doing this. They want hey. me dead, bowling, literally dead. Well, no, no, no,
3: no, no. I'm not sure they want you dead. They want oh, to make they a statement. They, they,
2: they have failed to destroy this network in twenty years. We still dominate in the ratings. We still dominate in the public discourse. They are gonna use everything they can now in the Trump versus Clinton race. Everything they can, because they know Trump gets a fair shake here, where he doesn't get a fair shake in 90% of the other venues, and that's why it stepped up. So poor Fox
1: is under attack because people are criticizing them. This is the same network that has been mercilessly attacking the Black Lives Matter movement, anything, any movement from the left. These are the same folks that if you criticize, uh, they criticize African-Americans. Now, after hundreds of years of slavery and Jim Crow segregation uh, and racial attacks, they criticize them for taking to the streets with homemade signs and bullhorns to speak out against it. They don't have the comfortable air-conditioned TV studios to reach millions of people each day the way Bill O'Reilly does to get his message out, his disinformation uh, agents at Fox News. Uh, And they have a SAD because now people are calling them out on their BS and some of their viewers and their voters may be starting to understand the con as well. And, oh, yes, their leader of 20 years, Fox founder Roger Ailes and O'Reilly pal. Roger Ailes, he's been canned due to sexual harassment allegations by multiple women. So these guys, to paraphrase Elizabeth Warren's critique of Donald Trump, they are cowardly, thin-skinned bullies. Never mind the Black Lives Matter protesters. It's Fox News facing the real oppression in this country. Or as uh, Talking Points memo Josh Marshall headlined an item today, Fox Lives Matter. Good luck with that. Uh, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Sean King of the New York Daily News, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, as any program, download it at bradblog.com for free, over or over at iTunes, where we hope you'll give us a good review. You can find and follow me on the Facebooks and the uh, Twitters at TheBradBlog, or drop me email. I am Bradcast at bradblog.com That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck,
3: world!